You're listening to Inclusive AF with Jackie Clayton and Katie Van Horn. I was silencing all my slack and everything. <laughs> it's it always the up. fun when, yeah, I was like, when we have stuff in the background, it's good. Yeah, um, popular. Yeah, exactly. Cool Kids Club. Um, yeah. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, we are here at the Inclusive AF podcast. I'm Katie Van Horn. And I'm Jackie Clayton. And today we have a very special guest. That's my radio voice, by the way. <laughs> today we have a very special guest and longtime friend, Jess Von Bank. Hello, oh, Jess. God, thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with the two of you. Did you know I wanted to be Oprah when I was little? Like I literally wanted to be Oprah and just talk for a living. And look at us, we get to talk. I, we That's so awesome. do. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming true. It's happening. I yes. love it. <laughs> That's what I tell myself every day. You know, I kind of am doing it, right? <laughs> sort of. I don't have billions of dollars dripping off my skin. That's the only problem. It's coming. Just wait for it. Wait for it. Any minute now. Um, So Jess, before we dig in on the topics we want to talk about, what we start off with usually is just having a a brief introduction of your identity. So whatever you're comfortable sharing from a personal, from a work, whatever it is you want to share, we'd love to hear it. If that's not a can of worms, where (laughs) should I start? I am... Can you, okay, let's see if this surprises anyone. I am a white woman. Does that surprise anybody? People always think I'm something else. I look like Paula Abdul. I look like I should be, I don't know. People always think I'm something else and kind of want me to be something else because it's like exotic or something. I'm just a plain old white girl here in Minneapolis. (laughs) And I happen to be raising three girls. Um, I say happen to be raising three girls because most people, if they know anything about me, know that I'm pretty passionate about supporting and cheerleading and empowering women and young girls. Women in particular, because I am one. I feel like that is my sphere of influence. If I can have the greatest impact in the world, the things that I can touch and feel and change and impact, um, that feels the closest to me. There's lots of things. There's lots of torches I'd love to carry and things I'd love to do, but I feel like empowering women, uh, to be whatever they want to be, uh, is one of those things and raising girls. I have three daughters. And when it comes to empowering women, I think you have to start so, so young. And that's one of our topics today, because by the time the world gets your, gets its teeth into these young people, especially girls, And we wonder why women keep talking about imposter syndrome and why we don't ask for equal pay and and nominate ourselves for promotions and take bigger risks and suffer from self-confidence issues. Um, I'd love to get into the nature versus nurture side of that, but that's my deal. That's the the hill I die on, ladies. (laughs) Awesome. Love it. So yeah, I I mean, I think one of the pieces, so Jackie is raising a beautiful daughter. You're raising three beautiful girls. So I think, you know, let's just go there first. I think that's the piece that we want to talk about and and really understand exactly what you're saying, that the whole concept around by the time that they are, you're sending them off into the world. And I mean, kindergarten, (laughs) what's happening and and how they're being impacted by all of the things that they've seen. So- I love your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I, I just, I've, I've had a lot of these conversations um, 
recently. Um, but in particular, this whole nature versus nurture thing, are girls born uh, with more nurturing qualities with what later becomes maternal instinct? Are we born to be more emotional or, or certain emotions? Um, and same thing with ma what we would call masculine qualities. I actually, I, I'm not a scientist. I just know what I know. And I think we're all born with a clean slate and we get to write on it. And the world writes on it too. And lots of our surroundings and environmental factors and where we live and the, the life that we come to experience and understand, all of those things write on our slate. And so I think there are some things we can control. Um, there are some things outside of our control, but I think the important thing to understand is my favorite word, which is permission. We all have permission to be who and what we are. And I loathe any restriction to that. Don't tell me when my middle child, Kenna, was two years old, she asked me if it was okay to like Spider-Man and the color blue and soccer. She really didn't care for the frilly stuff. And the fact that a two-year-old is already starting to understand gender identity and to feel some sort of, you know, imposition of rules upon her or restrictions, that's how early it starts. And that's how careful we have to be. Because if she then grows up with expectations upon her that she can't be this, she should be this, she has to act this way, she has to present herself this way, oh my God, the issues, <laughs> you know, the unbundling to be done later in life when she tries to figure out who she really is and who she wants to be and what that means about her role in the world. Um, so, so that's where I, where I stand on, I, I say raising girls, but it's really about being human. I think, you know, there's so much truth to that. I think Hannah did the same thing where she um, told me she didn't want to wear like the clothes I provided. And I just, I remember thinking she just figured out how to say that. And I have been torturing her her whole life. I used mm -hmm. to like dress like in full Jimboree, matchy matchy. Um, and then she came out, you know, the way that kids do with like rain boots and pajama bottoms and like a, a dress. And I would say, you know, Hannah picked out an outfit and she feels really pretty and, and explain that to people as they were like, why does your daughter have on a Sunday dress and rain boots? And you have to say, this is what makes her feel good. And I think that's, what's important. And I think what I learned as a parent was asking trying to ask my children, how does it make them feel? Yes. And if it made them feel good, then I'm just like, hands off, like, okay, well, yeah. then that's what we're doing then, I guess. That was always my answer. Whatever makes you feel amazing. Mom, what should I wear? Mom, do I have to dress up for the school concert? Mom, blah, blah, blah. What, is this okay for school pictures? Whatever makes you feel amazing because that allows them to feel their own identity. Does this mm -hmm. make me feel amazing? They don't understand genderification yet. They just know what makes them feel like themselves. And in my house, I have banned from very early on, we don't get to use words like pretty, beautiful, um, ugly, fat, skinny. There are certain words that are banned in my household. And the words that I would replace them with are the things that are more core to who you are and that you do have control over. How you look, how you were born and how you look is something that 
God had control over. You were born the way you were born. So let's not, let's not call that out exactly and make that a thing. But the things that I can control, am I a good person? Do I show acts of kindness? Am I thoughtful? Am I smart? You know, those types of things. So even the language that we use to compliment each other or to note qualities about each other, I'm pretty careful even about that stuff. I think it's all about modeling behavior over and over in the words we choose, the affirmations we give each other, um, the conversations that we have. You, You really have to be thoughtful about this stuff. Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the pieces that, I, I want to just touch on because obviously you're two women. And so I, I think it's also good to just hear what do you expect? Not what do you want, but what do you expect from the men in your lives, whether that's friends, family members, that type of thing around your girls? Mm, that's a hard one. <laughs> I don't know if so I can we, say that. on. The that's radio. what we do here, Jackie. Hard stuff. I think one of the things that let, that it was really important to me was um, setting the example of what of how you treat other people, and we started that at a, as a at a really young age. We age for um, our kids. We used to have dates, daddy daughter dates, where he would, you know, pull out a chair and be respectful and do all those other things. Um, but the the in it really wasn't around how they should be treated except for what, how I expected my son to treat women. I spent more time on that, but I spent more time with my daughter making her independent and not feel like she was dependent on another person. Um, and that, and so it would be funny because like we would go to a door, like, you know, a hotel big door with the big handle and they would be fighting in front of the hotel. TJ would be trying to pull the door open for Hannah and Hannah saying, I don't need you to hold open the door. Like we literally would have these fights and we're like, I don't know if I did this right or not. I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but it was really trying to be self-sufficient and not be dependent on other people to make you feel a certain way. And, and the other part was trying to speak up for what you need and try to form the language around that. So I, but I haven't really thought about it. I have to think more about that. I would say um, when, when kids are young, we, we, and again, we don't always think about it. So you have to think about it. Mm -hmm. You have to be thoughtful about this stuff, but we expect boys to wrestle and to be rough and tumble and to skin their knees and to take risks and climb trees and jump off of things. And, you know, we expect them to be a certain way. And if they're not, uh, we notice that. And if they are, we almost cheer, cheer it on, right? Like, oh, they're just boys. And we say that like in this loving, approving sort of way, boys will be boys. And with girls, we don't expect them to take risks. You know, be careful. Like, don't tell my girls to be careful <laughs> because they'll stop taking risks. We expect them to stay clean and stay pretty and neat and tidy and to um, be more cautionary. And we expect them to be nurturing and good friend, you know, mothering hen, mother hens and that kind of thing. Um, and so I, th- again, I, th- it, it goes back to kind of that clean slate, let them be. And I actually was, I step back. I step way back when my kids play, when they interact with each other, when they get hurt, when they get into, you know, little tiffs on the playground or with each other to see how they'll learn to conduct themselves 
and resolve situations. And I only come back, I only come in, I mean, I've, I've sort of taught them like levels of escalation. Self-advocacy is number one. You mm-hmm. have to be able to speak for yourself. If you feel uncomfortable, scared, like something might not be right, um, something is definitely wrong, you know, you have to know your voice and be able to speak up for yourself. Look for help. It's okay to ask for help. Ask a trusted adult, a caregiver, whoever, if you don't feel like you can handle that situation yourself. And mom is escalation point number three. I will come in and beat people up. Silence. If one and two fail, it's time to call in mama bear. And they know, they know their points of escalation. And that's, again, that's so powerful when kids, girls in particular, learn to use their voice. They learn they have a voice. They learn to say, that's not cool with me. And I hear little stories about this all the time where they'll come home from school. Thank God they're back in school now and say, mom, something happened on the playground. Or I had this interaction with somebody and I always ask them, how did you handle it? Did you like how you handled it? How did it turn out? How did that person feel? How did you feel? Do you need my help? Is this over or does this require something more? And I, like one of my proudest parenting moments was a school conference last fall. So virtual school conference. And here I am like sweating bullets because I've been homeschooling for way too damn long. And I'm like, failing on every front, you know, and I'm like, Oh my God, this teacher's going to have my tail. And I get on this school con like I'm, I'm worried as the parent, you know, that I'm not doing enough as the stand in teacher. And I get on the school conference. And the very first thing Bailey's teacher said to me is I have never had a child self-advocate for herself. Like Bailey does. Hi, my name is Sarah. And I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I offer you some feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Oh my God, my heart just exploded. And I said, tell me what you mean by that. And she said, if Bailey doesn't understand something, she doesn't know what to do, she doesn't have, have what she needs, in such a positive way, she just stands up for herself. I don't know what you're asking of me. Can you imagine that skill when she's a professional woman? Ah! Right. I don't think I'm being paid fairly. I don't know how to complete that assignment. This team thing isn't working for me. Like That becomes such a powerful skill as they grow. Bailey's my girl. You know Bailey's my girl. (laughs) I am always checking in in on Bailey. She cracks me up. I feel like, I don't know. She's my hero. Bailey (laughs) is my hero. That little nugget. Bailey is goals. (laughs) She is. awesome. So good on you. Yeah. Well, and I think even the fact that, you know, uh, for those who don't know, um, Jess likes to get dirty herself. (laughs) So yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> she is a uh, tough mutter, right? Tough mutter is the one, or you do all kinds of things. It's, Spartan. It's like right. that. It's yes. like that. I like extreme sport endurance racing. Spartan is my baby. I like Ragnar racing too, which is 200 mile relay races. I don't know why I do these things. Um, <laughs> actually I do every, every racer, there's like a thing you have your, why I race, you know, the thing that gets you out on the course and keeps you in your training mode and that kind of thing. And for me, it does something for me. Don't get me wrong. I love the thrill of competition. I'm an adrenaline junkie when I, I love like tapping into the part of like back when we were cave women and cavemen and like that survivalist thing that like, I feel that like I, when I'm out on a course and I'm wondering how the heck I'm going to get to the other side of this six hours from now, like I, I go into a place that is so primal and so survivalist. I love, like, I love that. Like you can't imagine, but the other reason I do that is so that my girls can see people taking risks and doing things way outside their comfort zone and trying the audacious and being brave. I, I literally think I'm all about modeling behavior. You have to see it. You have to actually see it happening. Women like us need to see female CEOs. We need to see women in government. Like, yes, we can be the first one, but God, it's exhausting being the trailblazer all the time. We need to see proof over and over and over. And so for those of us who are out there carrying the torches and blazing the trails and and championing this for others. Yeah, it's exhausting, but, but we have to do it because it becomes easier for everybody behind us. That's right. I love that. I always, I am my race um, person. I'm part of the penguin group where it's like, don't worry about me. I'll get there. Like, just don't <laughs> just, I'll, I'm fine. Um, but it was funny because we, my kids had shirts I did uh, America's Most Beautiful Bike Ride. It's a hundred mile bike ride around Lake Tahoe. And oh. on the front of the shirt, it said, don't you wish your mom could ride like mine on the front? And on the back, it said, don't you? And I, and I kept thinking, they don't. They would like their mom to ride <laughs> just a little bit faster. <laughs> I love that. Just a smidgen. But I think it's important to always do things that you're not good at or... Yeah that you know you can strive better independently because you know your strength and where you can push. And it's different when you're doing that, I think, to yourself um, because you have such a presence in this space. You know, People see you all the time just online and in yeah. various things, but I feel like, and tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like when you're doing your endurance events and those types of things, like that's just for you. Like it's your space to be whole. At least that's what I observe. <laughs> It is. It is for me because it allows me, I mean, I, the biggest compliments that I receive are the way I champion for women. I love hearing that. I, like that's what gets me out of bed every morning. The fact that some buddy, some woman, some young girl says, ah, oh, thank you for showing us. Thank you for being here. Thank you for, you know, like, I, I think that we have to rally around each other. I think women supporting other women is one of the most powerful forces of nature and like literally will change the world. Um, and so I, I do it knowing that that is probably going to be a, a trail effect, you know, like, um, but I'm not doing it for that. I'm doing it because I literally love it. And again, for, I mean, from an empowerment standpoint, if everybody felt like they had permission 
to truly know what makes them like what fuels their fire what like gets you know sets their soul on fire and if you just went out and did it try like the first believe me the first time after i had bailey this is where my whole like fitness thing started my first goal after i had bailey and i was overweight prior to kids and then i had infertility stuff and then i had three kids in five years and i yeah i was traveling for work nursing three babies like my god i was a damn mess and then I said, oh, okay, let's, let's get this in order here because I know how I feel on the inside, but how I am able to perform on the outside is not quite matching up. And I set my first goal to run a mile without stopping. That was my first, I didn't have any idea if I could do it. Can I run one mile without stopping? I don't care if it takes me 20 minutes. And that turned into, okay, that wasn't so, so bad. Let's see if I can run a 5K, not a race, just on my own time. Nobody will even know I did this. Not even my husband at the time. I'm just going to get out there and see if I can do it. And then it was to make it public. Okay. I can run a 5k. Can I actually run a race? And and then then the goals just kept stacking from there. Um, until, until I ran, you know, until I did the Spartan trifecta, the Spartan beast world championship in Tahoe, uh, where I competed, you know, placed in the top 9% of women worldwide. A mom in Minnesota wow. didn't know if she could run a mile when she started. That's the stuff I want my girls to see because it doesn't have to be racing for them. It can be writing a book. It can be, mm-hmm. you know, be, you know, taking a STEM class. It can be whatever feels like, ooh, could I could I do that? Yes. Yes you can. That's awesome. Yeah, I think the taking action, like that one foot in front of the other, the, Hey, asking for what you need, all of those things, you you just said stacking. I think it is. That's exactly it. You know, they're seeing you do this. They're seeing you at work. They're seeing how you are just how you show up every single day and what that does. And I'll say, you know, like I, my niece, so I have eight soon to be nine nieces. And one of my nieces just posted on her Instagram, like my aunt's so awesome. Listen to her on this podcast. And I was like, oh, okay, I need a minute. Because <laughs> it's, it's that type of stuff. Like to your point, it's like how you're showing up and then how other people, the people that matter, the, the girls that matter, the women that matter, how they see that as well. They're like, oh, no, I can do that too. Yeah. And how great that is. And so I want to switch gears because just talking about representation, talking about, you know, how we're showing up. One of the things that we have talked about, and I think it's something that all of us at some point have said we have is imposter syndrome and, you know, and what does imposter, like, tell me your thoughts on imposter syndrome. Yeah. So I, I actually looked up the term the other day because I used it and I'm like, okay, I better make sure I'm like, what imposter syndrome, like, not just Brene Brown's like, you know, and it actually goes back to Georgia State. Georgia State academics coined this term back in 1978, the year I was born, to refer to highly accomplished people who were unable to internalize their own accomplishments. And they feel like a sense of fraud in any room because they don't feel as smart as the other people in the room. They're not giving themselves credit for true accomplishment, um, which is a really interesting thing, right? Like, I don't even know the biology and the, and the, you know, the psychology behind that. Um, but the fact that it needed to be coined because it kept appearing. And then we applied this label to women 
more than men, because there is research. I have read the behavioral research from success finders and other, other firms who say that women in, in leadership and executive positions, especially when you look at female CEOs, there aren't that many, and male CEOs, um, women do suffer more than their male counterparts from lower self-confidence, a lower sense of self-regard about their accomplishments. Um, there are some, there are some characteristics where there is no statistical difference. It's actually a myth, you know, that they don't take as many risks. If you're a female CEO, you probably took a few, a few risks to get there. So there are some things that, that just need to be debunked. They're just myths, but there are some that are legitimate having faith in your ability to succeed. Your perception of failure, that's a really interesting one to me. Women perceive failure differently than men. Men see failure as, uh, you know, sort of a, a hiccup. Like, oh, that was interesting. I just got tackled on the field. I'm gonna get up and run faster, run harder. Like that's failure to a dude, according to some research. Where women are, women see it as a, as a, stop the game. I'm out. I failed. I'm done with this. That didn't work out rather than sort of like a step to performing differently or performing better. Um, and that's where, that's where, again, how this is, this becomes ingrained in us. You're not, I, I refuse to believe that some child was born one day understanding failure one way or the other. They learned that along the way. It was the reaction they got, the way they were affirmed or not affirmed when they did something or didn't do something. We teach them to perceive success and failure and risk in certain ways. And then we wonder why women more often than men say, you know, suffer from imposter syndrome. But I'm not going to, I won't call, you know, total bullshit on this. The other context that's really important to have is that we're born, if you're if you live right now in the year 2021, you were born into a society that is patriarchal, hierarchical, racist. <laughs> you know, like we're born into all of these conditions and depending on your place in the world uh, where there is no equality, uh, gender parity, equal pay, we lack representation in almost every organization, civic, community, government, like there is a lack of representation. And then we wonder why some demographics have trouble stepping up, using their voice, asking for more. So we place all of these heavy, heavy conditions on people. So I'm not going to say, ah, bullshit to imposter syndrome. Well, yes, I kind of understand why, but, but it's important to, to know that there are a lot of things we can fix. And then some of it is on ourselves too, to know our voice, use our voice, expect fair treatment, literally expect fair treatment, asking for equal pay. How, can you imagine going into a job interview and saying, uh, don't ask me what I make, what's the pay for this position? And how does that compare to everybody else in this position, not just in your company, but in the industry? I would probably be considered, oh God, one of the high maintenance, this is going to be a diva. No, Actually, this is, you should be offering this information, not making me ask for it. But if I ask for it, that's a fair question. I'd, I'd like to see that world. We, Absolutely. As a recruiter, when I would submit candidates, I don't ever tell them the range of what the person is making. I tell them that they fit within the range. Like I, you know, I always go yeah. in there because it's not anybody's 
business. But I do think you bring up an an important part. There is a a gender, important point when we're talking about gender and wow, we're taught. And I always say specifically in my experience as a black woman, it's like they teach us to hate us. So then you have to move forward. And it's like, how do I move forward? And you're like, uh, you have to like have this inner conversation with yourself because it just keeps, it's like trauma. And then you feel better and then something happens. And then you feel better and something, then you have to step up and you're like, I can do this. And you're like, oh my gosh, what if I get fired? Like you kind of yeah. have this inner dialogue. Um, what would you say if somebody just figured out what imposter syndrome was what would be a step that could help people feel better or get over it? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think it's all on the individual to overcome. If, if you feel, if this label, if this thing, you know, re, if you relate to it, if you feel it applies to you, I don't think it's all on you to overcome the fact that you experience imposter syndrome. I know why it is. Uh, and, and maybe so maybe that's the first thing is just understanding why it is, where is this coming from having that little bit of self awareness? Um, you know, am I actually an expert on this topic? And do I represent it? Well, yes, I think so. So why am I feeling this way? Or, you know, do, do I feel slighted because I didn't get asked to do that thing or for, you know, that promotion? Um, where is that coming from? Like maybe do a little bit of like self-reflection to figure out um, if it's truly a lack of confidence in your skills, your ability, your, you know, your, and work on that. If, it, if that's a thing, if I don't feel like I have my talk track buttoned up on a thing, then I can take care of that part. But if it's truly, I know I'm good. I know I've got this. I know I show up the way I should show up. And I still can't feel like, I still don't feel like I belong at that table. Um, I get the reasons why. Um, and I think that, I think that just takes a little bit of chutzpah. I used that word the other day with a millennial. I had no idea, no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> chutzpah. Uh-huh. You're like, just go with it. It's fine. Oh, that I'm old. Yeah, just ha- be a little bit brave, be a little bit, take a risk, take a risk. And I think it's okay to ask. I think we're not authentic either. I, I think we're too afraid to say that we're scared, to say that we don't want to take, like, like, what if we actually said, oh my gosh, you guys, I'm so nervous about this, but I think I got this. Can you help me? Can you support me? Oh my gosh, can you imagine how much people would rally around? We want people to succeed. I think for the most part, we're rooting for people. And so if somebody just owned the fact that I, I'm, I'm going to go for this, you guys, but it's scaring the shit out of me, (laughs) (laughs) like ask for that support. It will come. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that I like to do, and this was part of some training on imposter training that I went through and it was basically like, go down the rabbit hole, Yeah, go down the rabbit hole of what's the worst that can happen or what's the worst that, you know, what is the worst response, whatever it might be to whatever it is that you're asking for or doing or whatever. And, and I think for, as a white woman, it's a lot easier for me to say, oh, well, you know, maybe people won't like me, or maybe people will think I'm a B word, things Mm -hmm. like that. But I think there are, you know, there is this piece from a systems and how we have set up certain groups of individuals that it's not just that they won't like me, it's I could get fired for this. 
Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Yeah, that part is a problem. And that's where I challenge anybody who's listening to this. There are, we have problems. We have some big problems and it's up to every single one of us to fix them. Nobody has a magic wand. If there was a magic wand, somebody would have waved it by now, but each of us play a role. And depending on your level of representation, the degree of power and privilege that you have access to, your skin in the game depends on sort of where, where you're at on all of that, but everybody has an active role to play. You, nobody, there are no sidelines on this. Um, I don't care if you're a white male, 55 year old CEO, and you, ha- you probably have the, the greatest role of all because you have the greatest representation, power, privilege, access. You have the greatest ability to drive change. And to draw a line in the sand and say, I have zero tolerance on this. The rest of us are like begging, please, please have zero tolerance on this. I'm asking for your help here. So the, the, and so I, I would encourage everybody to be aware of the disparity and the issues we have around representation and privilege and access, uh, because we can make it easier for people who are trying to show up, right? I want to thank you for your support you've always been supportive and you do support women. And, you know, it's always funny because sometimes I think you help with people's imposter syndrome because you, you can be like, well, Jess thinks I'm pretty good. (laughs) So I'll just put that in the checklist. Um, But you're right. Sometimes you have to ask for what you need in those cases too. I told, I, I, I submitted something to Katie and I was like, absolutely no criticism. My ego can't take it. I will only take praise on this item. <laughs> don't, even, don't even come to me with like the Oxford comma BS. Like just don't, nothing. And, and to be positive. clear, I just didn't respond. And so she was like, made it worse. What? Okay, so like, I are actually have bad. <laughs> so I have two hills I die on. One is raising girls. The other is the correct use, the appropriate use of the Oxford you comma. Have to. Yes. Oh my gosh, it's so important. Yes. Let's eat grandma. Let's eat grandma. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> oh my god, oh tell. The other boring. thing though, what you said, Jackie, um, you know, there's, there's judgment and approval and all of that stuff. I also, what I just said about being, you know, authentic, honestly, the bravest thing you can do is say that you don't feel brave. And so like, I don't want people, I'm, I sometimes are, people call me badass all the time and they see me doing these crazy <laughs> races and stuff and like being this strong woman. I also want it okay not to be a strong woman. That's right. I don't like r- racing, you crazy nut. Or what if I am soft and feminine and don't like bourbon like jet? Like, I'm not saying that's the goal, <laughs> ladies. I'm saying the goal is to With like- one ice cube. Drinking please. bourbon and walking <laughs> on fire. You're rock. all right. You don't got to do all that. Stop doing that. You, you know, know that's true too. Like- 
being authentic to who you are and not judging and rating on other people. And I think that's difficult for women a lot of times, like, oh, you know, I should be doing this or that. Um, But I think it's so important that you, you celebrate other women's successes where they are and allow them um, to have their truth and have their moments, especially right now, you know, it's okay to not be okay. Yes. Everything going on. There's, there's so much confusion. And then you, (laughs) I always turn around like when life feels really stressful and then all of a sudden, and we're in a pandemic, like I, I, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. And what you just said, I think that's the heart of the matter right there is, is owning our truths and being able to speak it and articulate it. That is the greatest like power, permission, empowerment that you could ask for it. The ability to show up in, in an authentic way, know your truth, which only you can do and speak your truth into a welcoming, safe, brave, judgment-free environment. No judgment, no criticism, no backlash. There should be no penalty, no penalty for being anything, a woman, a person of color, and a minority, disabled, a girl, no penalty, no judgment. And so owning your, when you asked me, how do you identify, go ahead and introduce yourself with whatever identity, you know, you choose to, to use. Oh my, like, that truth telling right there, how people would choose to describe themselves or introduce themselves into a safe environment where they can truly own it. This is what I want you to know about me. Absolutely. All this stuff we do around like culture and like experience and driving employee engagement. What if you just let people show up with their truth? Yeah, we had Tamara Raspberry on a few weeks ago, who we all love. um, And you know, we did the, asked her the same questions, tell us your identity. And she said, well, I'm black. That's my first identity. And mm-hmm. so it also is like, what are those kind of layers? Like I look at myself and I'm like, I'm an aunt, I'm white, I'm a woman, I'll, you know, and, and there are those different identities that you take on. But to your point, like, why can't everyone just be Katie or Jackie or Jess and, and whatever all of those things mean to you? should be okay. The one, the one caveat to that is you can't be an a-hole. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only one I say that identity, not so much. Um, I'm going to start introducing <laughs> myself that way. I'm Jess and I'm not an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. I love that. Um, so we've been talking about women and kind of women owning their power. Yeah. Um, I don't like the word empowerment because that is someone giving you permission yes, to yes. take it. own your power. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but I, I want to talk about the fact, and this kind of came up in our HR community around speakers, yeah. um, presenters, panelists, all of these things. Mantles. And <laughs> mantles. Yes. And while we love the men in our lives that are yes. being asked to do every panel and every presentation and all of those yeah. things, why do you think that there is a challenge that either women aren't showing up? aren't voicing that they want to be a part of or turning down whatever it is that they're doing. Cause what we heard in response from a lot of the, the folks that are event planners or, you know, our gathering speakers is, well, women don't respond or don't 
want to don't be a volunteer part of themselves. Correct. I believe that that's true. I believe that women don't volunteer themselves as much. And when they are volunteered, it's through an agency, a PR firm, the head of marketing, whoever volunteering them as the expert for a thing. Um, so if that is the case, what do we do with it? I would challenge anybody who's an event organizer, has a podcast, runs a conference, has a place for speakers and voices. Don't just you know, put out a speaker call and take your responses. That you're gonna get what you're gonna get. We already know that that's been shown. I would challenge you and it's gonna be a little extra work, but I think you can do it. Follow the work, follow interesting work. If you're trying to create a panel on machine learning and the only experts that you can easily identify as low-hanging fruit are men, and you're actually looking for a few new different voices who might bring, bring something different to the table, then go outside the, the low-hanging fruit and the stuff that's falling into your laps. And, and this is not that hard. Literally follow the work. Follow the people who are doing interesting things, who are breaking rules, who are innovating in that space. I guarantee there are going to be some more people there. <laughs> but you've so follow the work. Don't just wait for them to fall into your lap. And that's like a really easy thing, I think. I mean, everything is online, everything's digital, everybody can be found these days. Um, and then I would also challenge women. I really would. If you feel, you know, sort of like, woe is me. We don't have enough. I don't feel represented. I look around me and I don't see enough people who look like me at conferences, on agendas, on podcast lineups, that kind of thing. Then raise your hand, like raise your hand and try it. If that speaks to you, if you feel like you want to do that thing, then go for it. Again, back to taking risks and asking for support and being brave. You'll be fine. You don't have to be. In fact, my favorite speakers are not practiced, polished speakers. They're people who are rolling up their sleeves and doing real work. And they're just talking about what they know and what they do. The more polished and practiced and the more you become a speaker, not a doer, uh, the more I kind of tune out. Like you're, you actually don't know what's changing and what's really happening and, you know, lessons learned and all like you're just doing your talk track right now, which hasn't changed in a little while. So, <laughs> ooh, ooh, she ooh, didn't call names, but we heard names. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Jackie, did you hear what she just said? I did. I okay, good. Mm. Um, yeah, we. Are, so uh, I think most folks <laughs> listening know this. Jackie is a keynote speaker and was just at HR Tech last week I and know. rocked it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I was so Thanks. proud. Right. So happy. <laughs> well, and that's what's funny. The people who really know me know that was risky for me. Yeah. And I was just like, I think I said later, did I say that? I was like, Katie, did I say the thing? I remember saying, because, <laughs> you know, it was pre-recorded, like what you were talking about. And I was like, did I say the blackity black part? I was like, sometimes <laughs> I took it out when I practiced and sometimes yeah. I left it in. I was like, yeah, you left it in. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> that was actually my favorite part is list like kind of watching on Twitter what the responses were to the things that she said. And, and people were like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> she said it. <laughs> Yeah. Love. Jess. Yeah. Our friend. Um, You have had some amazing male allies Mm -hmm. 
in your career, what is your message to those male allies about how they can help, how they can support? Because I think a lot of times, and you know, I, I hear this in the work that I do with organizations, a lot of CEOs who a lot of times are white males are like, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to say the wrong thing, or I don't know exactly what to say or how to support or what to do. What is your response to that? I would ask uh, not just male, but any, anybody who, who doesn't have to think about these things. They don't think twice about these things because they don't have to. I will ask you, I will beg you to get sensitive to this. Every time someone who has less representation, less influence, authority, voice, access, power, every time they come to you for approval with a request, for validation, be sensitive about the position they're in and the position you're in. Don't not think twice. It's like asking, oh, I don't see color. No, please, please see color, see race, see me, see disparity and become sensitive to this. That will make you appreciate the experience I'm having, what this interaction is to me and for me, and it will allow you to reply with empathy, to, to treat the entire interaction with empathy. Um, again, you know, as I said earlier, you, ha- you have to think about things. You have to think about the words you choose and your little everyday actions. Um, and so when when you're in a position of, and even if it is an event organizer, a podcast, you know, and somebody raises their, consider the fact that they might be doing the bravest thing they've ever done, that they might be taking a huge risk right now, that they might be suffering from imposter syndrome. Give them, give space for that. Treat that, treat thing, you know, approach experiences with empathy and, and just leave room, like leave room for that to be there. Uh, and so that's what I would ask for. Uh, be sensitive, which is a weird, sounds weird coming out of my mouth. Please be sensitive to that. Awesome. Yeah. We had a, uh, young man. That's actually a friend of Hannah's on last week. It will, it's not published yet, but it will be out before this one goes out. Um, and young man in clothing design, trying to represent the Tejano culture and what that means to him and what that means through fashion, all of those things. And it was just so cool because it is one of those, like most folks are never going to hear that voice or not yet because he's not famous yet, but he will be because he's going to be an amazing designer. We love you, Ghoulie. Um, (laughs) But it is that like giving space and giving opportunities because yeah, that's not a person that's going to raise his hand and go, oh, pick me. But Jackie reached out and said, we want you come, come and talk to us. We want to have this conversation, which was just super cool. Um, And we need to keep doing that. Um, So the last question that we will ask you, which we ask after every episode is what is the one takeaway from this conversation that you want our listeners to know, hear, uh, you know, say a second time, whatever it might be. You know, I I beat this drum a lot and it's, again, it's my favorite word, permission. The more we can give each other permission to be, and I won't even fill in the blank, to be whatever, to be you, to know your truth, to speak your truth, the more permission we can give each other. And I do that by modeling behavior. I do that by 
go do being me, I, you know, giving myself permission to, to do all of those things. The more we can create space and give that permission to each other to speak our truth, to know our truth, to use our voice. And we cannot overcorrect on this. You can't overcorrect. When you solve for the marginalized, for the underrepresented, for, you know, we spoke about imposter syndrome, for those who, for whatever reason, feel that. When you solve for that part of the equation and you can't oversolve for it, you fix the world for everybody. You make the world better for everybody. You cannot overcorrect on this. Jackie? Jess Von Bank is not an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) No. Key takeaway. (laughs) (laughs) But I already knew that. Um, I would think that um, one of the things is, is the power of uplifting women. I think that you really do set the tone and an example in support in that way. And um, it's not empowerment, but um but it's making spaces and so i think it's important for those people that are brave that have already found their feet to make as many spaces as possible um you know it's like we want to we don't want to just break the glass ceiling we're going to like shatter it and the bamboo ceiling and all the other ceilings and we're going to crush it and make it into sand so we have to make space. So be brave to what you were saying earlier is trying to be brave and make spaces when you can. Awesome. Love that. And I would think um, I'm going to kind of echo Jackie's sentiment. I want to thank you, Jess, for the spaces that you do create through your podcast, through the conversations you're having on LinkedIn, through all of the ways that you are amplifying voices that maybe have not been amplified before. And um, for being that ally to folks that need allyship and also just raising up issues that folks sometimes don't want to talk about. And so thank you for that. And thank you for sharing everything that you shared with us today. I think, you know, the, the takeaway for me is really just around the fact that, yeah, we need to create these spaces, but also just go find the voices. Don't, you know, take that extra step, take that extra effort and go find those voices that you're not hearing from because wow, the things you learn, the things you hear, it's just really cool. So Jess, how can folks find you? Oh, everywhere. I'm everywhere on social. <laughs> I'm Jess Von Bank. I use the same handle, same profile picture almost everywhere. Uh, so you, And you're welcome to follow me. I share girls, woman stuff, racing, life, a little bit of work. Um, so Jess Von Bank. And then of course, I'm at LeapGen, truly like I'm, I feel blessed to work where I work because we create just this kind of culture and environment for our people. We know that doing this for our people helps us go out and do amazing, audacious, incredible work on behalf of our clients. Uh, so follow Leap Gen if you if this kind of chatter and like worky work stuff and HR and how you can do this within your own cultures and environments. Uh, I talk about this all day long as our head of brand and marketing at Leap Gen. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time. We truly appreciate it. Um, This has been the Inclusive AF podcast. This is Katie Van Horn. And this is Jackie Clayton. And we'll see you or hear you (laughs) next time. (laughs) Bye. Bye.
You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men, and the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy, and I'm Beth, and together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.